Pound the Rock to Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and I am not joined by co-host Joe Wolfon today. Wolfon is off for a few weeks. I'm also on a bit of a reduced schedule during the summer. I'm taking a bunch of time off here and there, which is why, as you've probably noticed, we haven't delivered a new episode in a few weeks. And again, honestly, even after today's episode, if nothing really happens throughout the offseason, chances are we might go a few weeks again without a new episode until we're both back from vacation and kind of get back in the swing of things with both of us recording, you know, at least once a week. But uh, with Wolf on Gone, with no real developments happening uh, since the last time we did record an episode, I figured today would be a good opportunity to kind of dive back into the ongoing Damian Lillard saga, which despite Dame asking for a trade on July 1st, still continues as we now enter August. And uh, I figured who better to talk about the Dame saga with than Sean Hyken, who's been covering the Portland Trailblazers and the NBA at large for years now, continues to cover the team and the NBA over at the Rose Garden Report, which you can subscribe to for his newsletter and podcast. He's also a great follow on Twitter. If you don't already follow him at Hyken, H-I-G-H-K-I-N. Before we get to Dame Talk with Sean Hyken, though, I actually do have a few thoughts because I just realized I said there hadn't been any major developments since you last heard from Wolfon and I, but that's actually inaccurate because Jalen Brown did sign the biggest contract in NBA history since the last time we recorded. So I guess that is kind of big news. The five-year extension that will kick in beginning in 2024-25 is worth $304 million, which of course is the Supermax extension Brown qualified for by earning an all-NBA selection last season. Now, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you may recall that because of some skill overlap and potential diminishing returns between Brown and Jason Tatum, I actually thought the time to potentially trade Brown was a couple of years ago. Obviously, the Celtics are probably happy they didn't listen to me, given that since then they've made the NBA Finals and another Eastern Conference Finals, which brings it to now four Conference Finals appearances in six seasons Tatum and Brown have been together. So there's overwhelming evidence at this point that with this duo, and I know they've had a lot of help from other contributors too, but with this duo, the Celtics have pretty much always been in the mix, which is where teams want to be. Once it became obvious they were going to keep the Jays together rather than trading Brown at some point, it also became obvious they were going to have to give Brown whatever his version of the max was. And of course, because he made an All-NBA team the year he was extension eligible, that max ended up becoming a super max and thus the biggest contract ever. Now, in a vacuum, you can say it's an overpay and that Jalen Brown, whose precarious handle, shaky left hand, and Spacey off-ball D have limited the Celtics in the past, including as recently as Game 7 of this year's East Finals, by the way. In a vacuum, you can say that guy is not a 35% of the cap caliber star. But the fact of the matter is this. He's a 26-year-old All-NBAer coming off a year in which he averaged 27-7-4. He's an in-his-prime All-Star who's been the second-best player on a perennial contender. Like, the Celtics had to pay him. And yes, it had to be his max. If they got cute and tried to give him anything less than the max they could pay him, they risked rankling him, perhaps losing him as a free agent next year, or confronting the possibility of having to trade him for pennies on the dollar because you almost surely don't get Jalen Brown level value back by trading Jalen Brown. And as a team squarely in win-now mode, you just can't lose a guy of Brown's caliber for nothing or afford to trade him for lesser players just because you don't want to pay what it will take to keep him. Like... There are justifiable reasons a contending team might end up taking a step back from one year to the next, but penny pinching isn't one of them. Like I know, if you remember earlier this summer in talking Bradley Beal and Pascal Siakam at various points, I said that if you're a team in the middle of a non-competitive window and the only chance to retain a veteran secondary star is to pay them like a primary superstar, then you're better off trading them. But conversely, Teams in the middle of their competitive windows are exactly the type of teams who should be overpaying to retain star talent. So whether Brown is truly a $300 million player or a 35% of the cap superstar is almost irrelevant. This was the deal the Celtics had to give him. Now, of course, hanging over all this is the fact Brown will only own the league's biggest contract ever until Tatum himself usurps him next year. So perhaps the question now is whether the Celtics feel like they'll need to win a title early in these Brown and Tatum mega deals 
or whether Boston would actually be able to stomach paying both the full life of each deal. But that's for another day. For now, Brown has his deal. I think the Celtics had to give it to him. Totally justifiable. Um, and, you know, I guess it could lead to another conversation, which I think I've had on the pod before, about how I actually think um, the whole Supermax thing has somewhat backfired on owners because I think they made it too inclusive and not exclusive enough. And it's backed a lot of teams into corners where they end up having to overpay secondary stars. You know, that the entire purpose of the Supermax was to help teams and especially small market teams like retain star talent and homegrown talent. And, and it obviously can work like that. But I, I do think it's backfired in the sense that it's back teams into corners where they have to overpay secondary stars like primary superstars in order to keep them because the Supermax is out there and available to them. And uh, probably something that uh, these owners maybe regret. I don't know. Don't want to get too deep into it because, again, the purpose of today's pod is to talk Dame with Sean Hyken. Classic Pound the Rock fashion, even though Wolfon's not here and I'm sitting by myself, I've somehow gone on way longer about a topic than uh, than I planned to. But yeah, I don't know. Even if it was something like, you know, right now it's, okay, if you win MVP in any of the previous three years or Defensive Player of the Year, the year you're extension eligible or two of the previous three, or if you make All-NBA, any team in the year you're eligible or in two of the three you qualify. I, like I was even thinking, like, couldn't they have made it where it's like, Okay, the MVP part is fine. Defensive player of the year part is probably fine. But from the all-NBA perspective, it, I, maybe it should have been like all-NBA first team the year you're eligible. Uh, you know, at least all-NBA second team or better in two of the previous three years. Or if it's all-NBA third team, you have to have been at least all-NBA third team all three years. Like make it more exclusive so that it's more that true super duper star qualifying for the Supermax guys that teams, you know, will happily pay up for as opposed to kind of getting these second tier guys in it that can qualify, but just by a perfectly timed all NBA third team selection, or it's like, eh, you know, is that really the kind of secondary talent you needed to go? Like for those guys, you could have just had the usual bird rights and the advantages of being in the incumbent team where, you know, you can give them the extra year. You can give them the bigger yearly raises. You still have financial advantages to keep them, but you don't necessarily have to go as high as the Supermax allows. Anyway, again, that's a conversation and an argument for another day, even though I kind of just had that conversation now. Let's leave that there. Let's actually take the break and then come back with Sean Hyken to talk the ongoing and seemingly never-ending Damian Lillard saga. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Score's Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out the Score's YouTube page for an informative, yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. All right, Sean, thanks for joining us. Before we really dig into the Dame saga that as we were talking about off air and as I was joking with you, I'm sure no one has asked you about it all in the last <laughs> month. Let, let's start this off with a little bit of uh, NBA media group therapy here. And I'm going to ask you a question that maybe not enough people ask. And it's, how are you doing? How, what, what has this experience been like? Being Because it's one thing, you know, for myself and even for Joe, who co-hosts this podcast with me, we cover the NBA at large and we're not, we're not as you know, into the nitty gritty with a team or a situation like this every day. You're covering the Blazers, you yes. know, in addition to covering the league, I know, but first and foremost, you are covering the Blazers. So this is the nitty gritty for you. Like this Dame story is the story for you, but there also hasn't really been a lot of movement or traction or change over the month that the story has been out there. So what's the experience been like for you having to cover this giant story that isn't really moving, isn't really being updated. People are asking you what you think. I'm sure you're doing your own due diligence and trying to have your ear to the ground and find things out. What's this entire month been like for you? Still not as chaotic as the summer of 2021. Interesting. Yeah, which that was the summer that the Blazers hired, they fired Terry Stotts. They hired Chauncey Billups, and that was a whole thing, obviously. Yeah. And then Dame was 
there was, you know, there was, there was this like two months. I don't know how well you remember this. This was like right during the, uh, it wasn't the height of COVID, but it was that next summer when like they had played the next season in arenas with like limited fans, but like everything was pushed back a month. And so Dame was on the Olympic team and, he was doing like those interviews from on zoom from the Olympic team, like training camp talking about how he hasn't decided what he's going to do yet, as far as whether he wants to be traded or not. And this was after they lost to Denver in the first round of the playoffs when Denver didn't have Jamal Murray or Michael Porter. And Dame was talking about how they needed new, you know, they needed urgency. They needed to make big changes. And then Neil Olshay, who was the general manager at the time did a, press conference after he fired Terry Stotts, where he said that the first round exit was not a product of the roster. And then he hired Chauncey Billups, which obviously that was controversial for a lot of reasons. And then when he started to get blowback for it, he put, he tried to put it on Dame and be like, Hey, no, this was actually Dame's guy, even though it was his guy. And that was like, I mean, I'd say that was chaotic because that was like a multiple months of like, will he, won't he, is he going to ask for a trade? Is he not going to ask for a trade? He ended up not, and then that December, Neil Olshay was investigated for, you know, workplace environment, and that was that was a lot. I'll, I'll be honest, that was a lot more stressful to cover than this is because this is like okay, it was really it was really all in about a week span that this was kind of resolved for all intents and purposes, where you know, they, you know, they on draft night they don't trade the third pick, they take Scoot. We kind of have an idea that, okay, Dane probably doesn't love that they did this, even though it wasn't a surprise really to anybody that they did that because, you know, we can probably get into some of this, but like that was, I think the most logical thing to do at the time was use the pick. So once they did that, then it was like, okay, uh, this is probably coming at some point. And then about a week later, we get the Chris Haynes tweet that Dame asked for a trade. And we all kind of had known, yeah, if he were to want to get traded, Miami would be kind of where he wants to go because he said that in a Showtime interview a couple of weeks yeah. before that. So this was all kind of expected. Which, which he then, by the way, then downplayed as if, right, like, he walked oh, it yeah, back. No, he, come on, guys. I wasn't saying that. No, he know, did. That, he did an Instagram live the next day and like walked it back or yeah. whatever. But and, and then and then two weeks later, ended up saying he wants to get traded only to Miami. The even funnier one was when. Uh, he was on vacation in Paris and he was at a restaurant and they were playing the Will Smith song, Welcome to Miami. That's right. Yeah. And then his agent, Aaron Goodwin, literally had to put out a statement to the Athletics saying that it was unintentional and that it wasn't. Yeah. Like, I think that might have been the dumbest thing of yeah. this entire saga. But anyway, the actual drama happened while, uh, you know, in that week where, you know, Dame was going to, you know, we he, they, they draft Scoot and then it's like, oh, well, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? And then he does it. This this stuff now, this is nothing. Like, I've, I've, I haven't personally covered, you know, a star on the team that I cover requesting a trade. This is the first time I've gone through that. But we've seen this a million times. A star wants a trade and then it takes several months or weeks or whatever to happen. This is not anything I haven't dealt with before. Yeah, and it's not without precedent in recent NBA history either because literally last summer, yeah. Kevin Durant requested a trade on June 30th of 2022 after um, all the stuff happened with Kyrie where they didn't give him the extension right. he wanted. And then I think Kyrie picked up his player option and he was reported to want out. And then KD asked out. It was June 30th. And that obviously dragged out the entire summer where it was like, Oh, are the are the Raptors going to give up Scotty Barnes right. for him? Is Phoenix going to give up? And what? it was like known at the time. It wasn't like as strong of a he only wants. It, it, you know, with with Dame, it's like it's been made very clear by right. people associated with him that Miami is the only place he's open to going. I think with Durant, everybody kind of knew. I think this was probably reported. I have to go back and look at who was reporting what at the time, but I think it was pretty well known that his preference would have been Phoenix. Yeah, but. I think, and it's 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 relevant that you bring this up because I think this is what Joe Cronin, the Blazers' general manager, is hoping happens here, where they, you know, I think they will, if if they don't get a deal that they like for Dame this summer, they'll say, look, you know, Dame, we tried, we we you know we we there wasn't a deal we liked, we'll revisit it at the deadline. Like I think that's what he's hoping happens, and. 
I think what he's banking on, and this is also another similarity to Kevin Durant, is that Dame is wired very similarly to Kevin Durant and that he wants to play basketball and wherever he's at, if he's still in Portland at training camp or if he's traded somewhere besides Miami at training camp, Miami may be where he wants to be, but I don't see Dame Ben Simmonsing it and not showing up or, you know, showing being like Harden and showing up but being a huge distraction. I don't see Dame doing that. So I think I think that's the that that's kind of why Portland is slow playing this as much as they are, is because they feel like they could take Dame into camp and it will be a little bit awkward, but it'll be fine. Yeah, I'm with you. It's something we talked about on this show as well. I'm sure you have, and you know we've written about it uh, on the Score app as well, where it's like, one, Dame is just not wired like that. No. Um, two, you know, you bring up Harden, which is a great point, because as we've talked about on this pod before, Harden's the ultimate agent of chaos in terms of using chaos to get what he wants, because he will show up out of shape. He will dive right. and whatever. But with Dame, not only is he not wired like that, but unlike Harden, who right now is in a similar situation with the Sixers, Harden has one year left on his contract. So mm-hmm. you could potentially see a guy who has been an agent of chaos in the past thinking, cause some issues for a year, maybe dog it, or I, I don't know, in, a, in an absolute worst case scenario, hold out. It's not that crazy to think of a guy like Harden doing that with one year left on his contract. Right. Damian Lillard, no matter what Aaron Goodwin and Dame want people to believe, is <laughs> not going to dog it, hold out, uh, have money with health with four years and $216 million left on his day. Like that is just not happening. And also to your point um, with the KD thing from last year is that he had requested a trade on June 30th. And then it was August 23rd of 2022 when mm-hmm. the Nets end up, I think Sean Marks at the time put out a statement or it, it got reported. It was a joint that, statement. It had Nets right. and boardroom letterhead on it. That's right. It was the KD and Nets joint statement uh, from the boardroom, KD's company, yeah. media company, that they were going to continue their partnership together. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that the trade didn't materialize over the span of almost two months and they were going yeah. to continue their partnership together. And we know how that ended. It only was really for a half a season until the the nets ended up getting what they wanted from the suns which were which you know was kevin durant's preferred destination now the difference here and i'd like to have you know hear your take on this i feel like you'd agree the difference here is that even if dame ends up being brought to camp mm-hmm. i don't think there would be any illusion even publicly that the partnership would continue. Like with KD, yes, he ended up getting traded, but I think it was at least somewhat believable when that joint statement came out. Like, oh, maybe they can actually make this work. Maybe everything breaks right and him and Kyrie play well together and the Nets are contenders and and they ride this out. With Dame, even if they stay together going into camp, I don't think there would be any illusions that this will continue long-term. Like I think everyone would kind of know it's only until they find that right deal. And the other difference is that in the case of Durant, his preferred destination had a godfather offer they could eventually get to that made a ton of sense for Brooklyn and really set them up nicely for the future. In the case of Miami, which is Dame's preferred destination, like, unless, I I don't know, unless the season starts and Nikola Jovic looks like (laughs) the second coming or something like that happens. he is like his his namesake or the guy with a similar name to him, if that's that's what happens, that would would change some things, yes. Other than that, I don't really see how, like, Miami's offer can get much better than it is right now and what everyone knows it is. I mean... Uh, Shams, I think, reported earlier this week in one of those non-update updates where it's like, oh, Miami's now preparing a trade package of three to four first-round picks and potentially second-rounders and pick swaps and young players and Hero going to a third team. And I'm like, okay, cool, but isn't that literally what we knew they were offering a month ago? Like, what's different here? And then the next day, Shams reports, oh, by the way, no traction on (laughs) deal with Miami. It's like, well, yeah, because if there wasn't traction a month ago, what's the difference now? That's the part that's funny about I me, mean, the way that, and obviously this is going to get spun the way it's going to get spun from any side that wants whatever version of the same exact information out there that, but like what you're starting to see now from the Miami side is Portland is uncooperative and Portland has not shown a willingness to engage. And I'm just sitting there looking at it like, yeah, we know what their <laughs> possible offer is. Like, unless it's going to get better, like what is there to talk about? And, I think I think to your point, Joe, about the uh, 
the the Durant situation. I think the Durant thing long term would have worked out in Brooklyn if Kyrie was capable of acting normal for two months. Right. Once Kyrie blew everything up and wanted you know wanted to be traded in the middle of the season after he didn't get the extension and ended up getting traded to Dallas, then KD went to ownership and was like, okay, you know, let's this this isn't this isn't working. Let's let's do something. And then it just so happened that the trade deadline was like 24 hours after Matt Ishby officially took over as the new yeah. owner of the Suns and he wanted to make a splash. And so he was just like, screw it, just offer everything we have for, for KD. We need to make a splash. So it was a very specific set of circumstances, but I do think that that's what Portland would be hoping for if they were to bring Dame into camp. I think they kind of know that long-term, I mean, I'm, I, I would be theoretically interested in how Dame and Scoot look together on the court, I think there are people in the organization that think they can play together. I don't know if Dame thinks they can play together, but that's a whole other conversation. But I think their hope would be, because right now, and I mean, this is this is the thing that is kind of working in Miami's favor right now, and I think this is true, is that, I mean, there hasn't been any traction on any, any deal with Miami right now, but there hasn't really been traction with anybody else either. Like, it's not like they're getting, it's not like they have seven offers for Dame right now that are all good offers. Like Dame and his representatives in Miami have done a very good job of doing what they should be trying to do in this situation and suppressing the market and basically making it, you know, make scaring other teams off from making offers. I think right now, today is August 2nd. We're two months away from the start of camp right now. There's not really much of a reason for that to change. If you're another team, like, there's no new information out there that would make you, if you weren't interested in pursuing a trade for Dame right now, you're not going to change your mind probably in the next six weeks. But I think what Portland would be hoping for is that, you know, the season starts a team that maybe you don't think about right now, a team that you're, you know, not expecting to get in the mix starts off better than expected and says in like December or January, you know what? Screw it. Let's really go for it. Let's go get Dame. And then, the, and then they can make an offer. I think that's kind of what Portland is hoping is going to happen because the, whatever this version of the Miami offer is, Miami really has no backup plan to this because they lost Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. They yep. didn't really do anything to replace him. They've signed a couple of vet men guys, but they've basically put all of their eggs in this Dame basket. So whatever offer they may have or not have for Dane is always going to be there as a fallback. And so there's to me, to me, there's really no downside to Portland in slow playing this and see if they can come up with something better. Or, you know, even, you know, if you want to, I'm not even just talking about necessarily another team deciding, let's go get Dame. What if Tyler Hero has a really good start to the season and suddenly there are more teams that are interested in trading for him and facilitating this and giving Portland better stuff. Because I think the thing, there's kind of a misconception right now because something I've been saying and writing and reporting since this whole thing started is that Miami and the Goodwins have been trying to find a team to take Tyler Hero and offer more stuff. And that's been spun as me saying, oh, Tyler Hero, nobody wants Tyler Hero. There are teams that will take Tyler Hero, but there are not teams that are going to give up like multiple first round picks or more than like a lottery protected first round pick, which isn't going to help Portland. Because I think teams look, because like that type of guy, and I know this because the Blazers have tried to move Anthony Simons for an upgrade for, you know, about six months. And you know, he's a similar type of player to Tyler Hero on a similar type of contract. You can land wherever you land on which one you think is better, but they're kind of, I think we can all agree, they're kind of in that similar, you know, general tier with like a Jordan Poole and RJ Barrett. It's kind of the, you know, scoring guards who make that range of money. Those guys don't have a ton of trade value around the league. And that's not a, oh, he, you're dissing Tyler Hero by saying that. That's just those types of players you're not going to get a whole ton of stuff for. And, and to your point, the, the fact that, you know, the proof that Anthony Simons doesn't have that type of value for, despite the production and stuff, is that if he did, chances are the Blazers might have been able to turn him into the type of player that convinced Dame to stay in Portland and compete. in Toronto right now. They went pretty right? hard. There was, there was a window on the night of June 30th after Fred Van Vliet left that Portland made another run at OG. And it would have been like Simons and multiple future firsts. Obviously, it didn't get done, but that would have been enough for Dame. Did you get the sense that Portland valued 
bringing OG in more than Pascal? That's a good question. I think that the combination of... Well, first of all, like when they were talking about stuff with the third pick before the draft, I don't think anybody thought OG was... Like they didn't... They decided not to trade the seventh pick last year for OG. They're not, they weren't going to trade the third pick in right. the draft for OG. Right. But I think that the concerns with Pascal, I think from a fit standpoint and also from like a talent standpoint, obviously that would have been, you know, a big upgrade. I think the two concerns they had were a him putting it out there that he didn't want to re-sign with any team. And so they like, cause like when they traded for Jeremy Grant last year, there was kind of an understanding that they weren't trading for him as a rental and that they were going to get something done long-term. And that ended up happening pretty quickly this uh, off season. And then I think the other thing is that with this new CBA with the second apron coming in and all of that stuff, it's like you're paying Dame what you're paying him. And then you're going to have to probably max out Siakam and then, uh, you know, you're also paying Grant. You're pay- like, it would, it would have, yeah. it would have. You very quickly, you would have been getting into the roster being about as top heavy as like Phoenix is, or like ironically, what Miami is going to be if they get Dame, where you've got Dame, Jimmy, Bam, and then the rest of the roster is basically just going to have to be vet min guys. So to 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 answer your question, yes, like they did, they did try to make another run at OG on the night of basically, basically as like a hail mary that would have that would have salvaged the Dame thing, but that did not happen. And I think part of that is that, like we were saying, guys like Anthony Simons and like Tyler Hero and like Jordan Poole, who Golden State just had to salary dump, basically. You're not going to get a ton of stuff for those guys. And I think if you're if you're Dame, if you get if you go into the season still in Portland, you're hoping that Tyler Hero really balls out the first two months of the season and then another team decides hey you know let's actually give up a good first round pick or a good young player for Tyler Hero and facilitate this this trade I know that with um Simon still there and obviously they just drafted Scoot who's very much considered the future in Portland and also Shaden Sharp uh-huh. uh, who's there that's a big part of the reason why everyone always knew that with Hero being included in the deal he would probably be rerouted because he's not really part of Portland's plans is there any scenario in your mind, like, you know, you even talk about, hey, if if Hero, if Hero has a really good start to the year, more teams might be eager to jump in and try to grab him in a game trade between Portland and Miami. Is there any scenario in your mind where you could see Portland themselves actually being like, hey, you know what? Maybe, you know, like, it doesn't fit right now roster-wise, but we actually now like what we're seeing from Tyler Hero. We would be open to having him part of that deal coming here and yeah, it might not fit the best right now, but we're going to be a rebuilding team. We'll, you know, we'll make a move later if, and when we need to, or do you think like, no, the way they're building it in Portland, like hero's not going to be part of that there. He's going to a third team regardless of how he starts the season. I don't know the answer to that question just because I don't think they've really talked in any real way at all. So I don't, I don't know where their heads are at with that. I don't know what, yeah. their uh thinking would be on that so i just i don't that's that's an interesting question i don't think that's like a zero percent chance that that happens but i don't i don't know the answer to that question you did mention that um even for example with the hail mary for og as recently as the night before i guess dame ends up putting the trade request in there clearly was still hope from the blazer side that they could potentially salvage this and make the kind of move win now move that would actually keep dame happy if this actually gets to the point, like with KD last year, that at least temporarily they decide to keep the partnership going, bring them to camp, see how the year starts. Do you think there is still any hope where in like an absolute perfect world, I know it's a little bit of like sunshine and lollipops, but right. in a perfect world where the Blazers bring Dame to camp and for whatever reason, like everything just goes swimmingly to start the year. Dame really likes Scoot or like, right, like Dame know, really likes yeah. Scoot. Scoot looks like very NBA ready as a, an impact rookie. And the Blazers are surprisingly competitive with Dame playing well and, and, and him liking playing with Scoot and obviously, you know, the fans embracing him as they do in Portland. Like, sure. do you see any scenario where, that end of it could actually be salvaged. We're in like in a really unlikely situation. Dame actually sticks it out in Portland because of how things started. Or do you think like with Dame, it finally has gotten to the point where this thing's too far gone. He's made up his mind and that he understands, okay, even if they were to get off to a good start, it's probably still not on his timeline. I don't think it's a zero 
percent. I mean, it's this. I'll answer it the same. I'll answer it the same way that I just answered the Tyler Hero <laughs> thing. I don't think it's a zero percent chance, but I don't think that that's an outcome that I would bet on. Yeah, I hear you. You mentioned earlier in the conversation that keeping the pick and taking Scoot was the logical move. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you on that because if you're thinking about it from the standpoint of like, what is the Blazers' best chance to build a contending team at some point? Mm-hmm. I think what you would get from a Dame trade plus guys like Scoot and Sharp um, and, on, you know, again, there would be draft capital coming in the Dame trade. They've got young talent. Like, I think that building towards the future probably does have a higher percentage chance of turning into a contender than any team they would kind of scrape together around Dame at this stage of his career with limited assets they would have after making such a move. Do you agree with that? Or do you still think there is a path where, like, no, the higher percentage chance is still you know, banking on the guy who's a proven superstar right now. Well, I mean, the path is the higher percentage chance is always banking on the guy who's a proven superstar because like, I think Scoot is going to be really, really good. And so do a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Is he ever going to be as good as Damian Lillard is? I don't know if that's not, I mean, I, literally a guy that was named to the top 75 yeah. team. Like, I don't know if you can say, oh yeah, for sure. Scoot Henderson is going to be that good because not, very many people have been so i uh, yeah i i don't know i think i think as far as like if they had you know traded the third pick i think the thing that messed it up is that the pick moved up from five to three and because they had the fifth best odds at the lottery and so if you have the fifth pick and you're talking about trading like jarris walker or you know anthony black or whoever was taken around that range that's a lot easier to swallow than trading Scoot Henderson, who most people think is going to go number one in any draft that doesn't have Victor Wembanyama yeah. in it. Well, the Charlotte Hornets might disagree. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> but right, I that, was, good. that was a whole other wrinkle to it that oh, kind of yeah. broke in Portland's favor because like, I don't know. I mean, that's a whole other thing. Too. Yeah, exactly. We can do a whole hour on that's uh, a whole, that's a whole other I mean, the confusion. The, that is the Charlotte Hornets. So the thing is like, once the pick moves up that high to where you know you could get scoops suddenly the list of guys that you can trade that pick for becomes a lot smaller like we talked about even though like from a talent standpoint siakam would be on that list like we talked about the issues with that as far as the money and as far as him maybe not wanting to resign so you're really just talking about like mikhail bridges i think would have been their first choice because that's dame's guy but i don't think brooklyn was even interested in entertaining that conversation and then, like, clearly Boston, like, I think Jalen Brown might have been in the mix there, but I don't think Boston was going to, you know, do that. And then the Zion thing was interesting. I think there's a chance Portland might have uh, done something there if that was actually on the table. I don't think that was ever on the table. I think the stuff about New Orleans really wanting Scoot was real, but I think they tried to do it for, like, Trey Murphy and the 14th pick and other picks, and that was obviously not going to work. Yeah. So it's really like you can't trade the third pick and Scoot Henderson for like Brandon Ingram or Zach Levine. Like that's a disaster. So at that point, it's like, yeah, you kind of have to just take Scoot. And then, but then the problem is then Dame feels like he's Brett Favre and they drafted Aaron Rodgers. So like I, the way I, what I've been saying the whole time is I understand where both sides are coming from. I understand why Joe Cronin looked at what was available and then looked at the pick and was like, yeah, clearly the move here is to take Scoot. And I understand why Dame feels the way he feels about it and maybe wants to go somewhere else and kind of sees that they're going younger. Yeah. I completely agree with you and, and see it from both sides. And again, I, don't even hold it against Dame that he has a destination in mind. Hell, who wouldn't? You know what? Totally. 30-something multi-millionaire guy who's accomplished almost everything he can accomplish other than winning a championship. Who wouldn't want to then go complete that quest while living in Miami? Not a bad like, right. situation. And it's like that's an organization that you know is, you know, does yep. things the right way and Bam is his boy. So there's like like that's obviously, you know, they're, you know, Florida has no state income. To, like you understand why that's where he wants to go. I think the mistake that, and I, and again, I don't looking at this from an objective, like outsider, you know, perspective, I don't have an issue with what Aaron Goodwin was doing because Aaron Goodwin's job as a player's agent is to try to get his guy where he wants to go. And if his guy wants to go to Miami, your job is to try to do what you can to get your guy where your guy wants to go. I think they miscalculated though, 
just how much of the public would or would not be on their side with the way that they were doing it. Because I think what they thought, and I know some of this is what they thought because I've talked to people who were close to, you know, that side of thinking. I think they thought that because every single one of these national like talk shows and debate shows has been begging Dame to ask for a trade for three years that as soon as he did it, everybody would just be coming down on Portland to trade him to Miami. I think they miscalculated a how tired people are of this stuff. Cause like, you know, a few years ago when a player of Dame's caliber requests a trade, it like shuts the whole league down and it's like the only, but now it's just like, Oh yeah. Okay. Another one of these. Cause like, you know, we already like Harden's done this three times in the last three years. Durant did it last summer. Like we had like Donovan Mitchell last year. Like you go every single year, there's one or two of these. And now everybody's just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Cool. Another one of these. And then the other part of it that I think was a, you know, a miscalculation was going so hard from being, you know, Dame's whole thing of his whole career of like, I'm the loyalty guy. I'm the like going right from that basically zero to a hundred of being going from that to I'm not going to like putting it out there that he wouldn't show up if he got traded somewhere else. Everybody was just like, yeah, okay, dude, for sure. We believe you totally. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I, <laughs> I completely agree. With you. That's exactly how I saw it. And that's, you know, kind of what I was alluding to where it's like, I'm, I'm with you that I, I completely understand it from both sides. Mm-hmm. Why some, like, it's just at that point where I think it's probably going to end up being mutually beneficial for these two parties to part ways. Sure. And I understand why Dame has a preferred destination in mind. I'm with you though, in the sense that where I no longer see it from Dame's point of view is the miscalculation of it. And also this kind of expectation. It seemed like him and his representation have where there was this expectation of like what Portland owes him actually extends that far. Because don't get me wrong, again, I think there is a mutual respect there that both owe each other. And to me, and I said this on the podcast before, Portland owing Dame is just granting his trade request despite having four years and 200 plus million dollars on his contract. That to me is them giving him professional respect and quote unquote giving them what they owe. Where it's like, you know what? You've put in your time here. You've been a good soldier. Yes, you have four years, up up to four years with the player option left on your deal, but we're going to grant you the trade request. That, to me, is what they owe them in the professional respect. Beyond that, like the expectation, whether it be from Dame, Aaron Goodwin, or anyone out there in the public, that the Blazers owe Dame getting him to his preferred destination while taking anything other than the best offer on the table that's where I'm just like, you got, like everyone is out to lunch if they think that because that is not owing Dame. That's just like self-sabotage and that is just not smart business. Like the Blazers owe Dame a certain amount, but at the end of the day, in trading Dame, they owe it to themselves to get the best package available, not to the guy who no longer wants to be there. Joe Cronin's career is over if he takes that deal that Miami has on the table right now without more teams getting involved in other stuff yeah. being you know, in there because like, you're already going to be the GM that couldn't make the moves to build around Dame. Like you're going to lose that PR battle no matter what. If you then also trade Dame for like Nikola Jovic, who hasn't shown you know anything and some draft picks that are seven years out that are probably going to be in like the high twenties, that's your career as an executive and he has, I mean, I think there's also some pressure from other, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know this for sure, but I saw, I mean, and I wrote this the other day, but did you see that interview that David Griffin gave on Sirius XM radio during summer league? Where he I didn't know where he was comparing. He was, they were asking him. It was, I think it was like, it was like Frank Isola or like a couple, it was like with a couple of that. I don't forget who it was with, but it was on one of those shows on the Sirius XM uh, NBA channel. And this was during summer league, so this was maybe two, three weeks ago. But David Griffin was comparing the Dame Portland situation, kind of the spot that Joe is in, to the spot that he was in when Anthony Davis wanted to get out of New Orleans mm-hmm. and only wanted to go to the Lakers, and how he, you know, had to, you know, wait it out and use different leverage and all this stuff to get the deal that he wanted. I think you're starting to see other. GMs in markets like Portland and New Orleans kind of try to close rank and 
basic, like, I think Joe almost, I mean, A, Joe has to make the best deal for the future of the franchise that he works for. But I think Joe also doesn't want to be the GM that sets the precedent that somebody with as many years left on their contract as Dame has can just push their way wherever they want. And I also, I'll say this too. There's this idea coming out of Miami that is, you know, being pushed by some people there that Joe is being petty or being in his feelings or like just throwing a temper tantrum by not trading Dame to Miami. I don't think like, like there, I think the example that I can point to of, you know, Kawhi Leonard asks out of San Antonio, he makes it known he only wants to go to the Lakers. And so the Spurs purposely say, oh, we're going to trade you anywhere but the Lakers, even if it's less of an offer than what the Lakers have. I don't think that's what's going on with Portland with this Dame trade request. I think they would be happy to trade him to Miami if Miami had better stuff to trade. And as of right now, they don't. And it's kind of, you know, if Miami can come up with real stuff to trade, then or that's more stuff than they have right now, then they would be happy to send him to Miami and say, hey, everybody got what they wanted. Dame got where he wanted to go. We did right by our franchise's all-time leading scorer. But Joe knows that if he gets cleaned out in this trade and the best thing that they get back is like Jaime Jaquez, like that might be his career as an executive. Yeah. And you mentioned like, you know, even the picks seven years out that could end up in the high 20s. Even if those end up being great picks, like even if they're like unprotected future Miami picks that come in really down years for the Heat that end up being super high picks, this deal will probably cost Cronin his job at some point. He probably would not be the executive in charge when Portland actually gets to the fruits of those, you know, of those high picks six, seven years. Portland's ownership is also up in the air. Yeah, good point. So, and usually we kind of know how this goes whenever a new owner comes in and buys a team if one of the first things they do is they want to bring in their own executives they want to bring in their own coaches they want to kind of you, you saw what happened when a-rod and mark Laurie bought the timberwolves the first thing they did was pay a ton of money to bring tim Connolly over from denver like you're kind of seeing you know and i yep. i know ishbia didn't fire james jones but he did fire monty williams after one playoff so it's like chances are in 2030, when these Miami picks convey, to your point, yeah, Joe Cronin is probably not going to be the yeah. executive in charge. And, you know, depending on the fallout from this deal, I don't know if he's getting another job after that. It might be like a, if this trade is so lopsided that it sets the franchise back, it might be a Billy King thing where he doesn't yeah. ever get a job again. Like, I don't, I don't know. And I, yeah. so I think this is, I mean, you can say in a vacuum, like, oh, you know, this trade, you know, you, you, we can kind of litigate down like, oh, well this, you know, this is why this Miami package is this or this or this. You have to think about it from the standpoint of if you're the executive who's trading away the star player, you have to make this trade not a trade that's going to get you fired. And I do think it's very funny when, you know, people try to kind of argue that, oh, you know, this Miami deal is actually not that bad. Like, out of the na- out of people who aren't Miami-based, out of, like, national people who people think is, like, you know, are, like, you know, reasonable and objective, Zach Lowe is higher on this Miami package than pretty much anybody nationally. Even he, the best he can get to is the word palatable. He doesn't yeah. even argue that it's a good trade. The best he can get to is, well, this isn't completely terrible. And you can't make a deal that's, well, this isn't that bad for somebody, for your franchise's all-time leading scorer who's coming off of an all-NBA year. You'd be like, yeah, that's a disaster. You can't do that. Yeah, I'm with you, man. The one, I know we've joked a lot about like the non-update updates that have happened over the last <laughs> month. The one, I guess, kind of real update that happened, if you want to call it that, is that just a few days ago, Chris Haynes reported on that memo that the right. NBA sent to teams warning you could call it uh, instead of a memo where the NBA was reminding players and agents that they could face discipline if at any point in the future they insinuate publicly or privately that they won't fully perform the services called for under their contracts (laughs) in the event of a trade. Now, obviously, and Dame and Goodwin were named in this memo that Haynes reported on, obviously this is about the fact reports for the last month have indicated Dame and his agent, Aaron Goodwin, have been telling teams, Dame only wants to play for Miami. He won't play for them. He you know, won't play to his full potential in any other situation. Now, the memo did say that the league spoke to Lillard and Goodwin and that Goodwin denied telling any teams Dame wouldn't play for them. Uh, by the way, on a side note, my favorite part of the this leaked memo was that... The almost but not entirely consistent. Yes, was, that, yes. was that your favorite part? <laughs> my favorite part was that in the NBA memo, it reads, the relevant teams provided descriptions of their communications with Goodwin that were mostly 
though not entirely consistent with Goodwin's <laughs> statements. I literally yeah. laughed out loud yeah, yeah. when I read that part because it's like, oh, so what did the team say to the NBA? Okay, well, yeah, Aaron did technically tell you the truth. He didn't tell us explicitly like Dame wouldn't play for us or he would dog it. But he told us he would play for us, but while winking at us, like, what is this like? Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. The question I wanted to get to is, you know, because the memo states Goodwin and Lillard have now affirmed that Dame would fully perform the services called for under his player contract in any trade scenario. But I want to ask you, as someone who has the pulse of the Blazers, Mm -hmm. do you believe this memo changes anything? Like, is Damian Lillard any more likely, even by a, a mere percentage point, is he any more likely to be traded to a non-Heat team today than he was before this memo went out? I don't think the memo really changes anything. I think it was sent out kind of more for optics than anything else. You know what it kind of reminds me of? There are certain teams, you know, the Heat, ironically, and the Sixers and like the Knicks and the Bulls, that have gotten fined by the league or cost draft picks for quote unquote tampering with free agents before free agency technically opened. We all know that every team does that, but the teams that got punished for it were the teams that were too sloppy about it and were too public about it. I think this was maybe telling Aaron Goodwin, maybe don't go on the record and say that your guy only wants to be in Miami. (laughs) Like that to me was more what this was than anything. And this is another part of what I think was the miscalculation of how Dame side has played this. And the thing you have, I also need to kind of make clear here is Dame himself has said nothing during this whole thing. He hasn't done any interviews. He wasn't in Vegas for summer league. He's usually there just like watching and hanging out It wasn't even like this year he was there but wasn't doing interviews. He was out of the country for most of July. Like He was not there. He's been laying low. He's been posting on social media, but he hasn't been posting on this about social media. He's just been like posting pictures of his kids and posting pictures about like his summer camp that he does for, you know, high school prospects. Like Dame himself has not said anything publicly about this at all. And I think it's going to stay that way until either he's traded or until he is in training camp in Portland, if it comes to that, like that will be the next time anybody hears from him. But this is all, this is all of this stuff publicly. And I assume the leaks that have come from whoever are all coming, not from him personally, but from Aaron Goodwin. And I think this was kind of a, cause you have to remember, and I saw the, the reaction from Miami. That's like, well, why did nobody ever like freak out when Anthony Davis said he only want? Well, Anthony Davis and Rich Paul got fined fifty thousand yeah. dollars for requesting a trade publicly and from New York. Also, because I've seen people like from the Miami side float that out there. Unless I'm going crazy, I do remember people criticizing Anthony Davis for yeah. either like quitting on the Pelicans or being very picky about the fact that like not only was he requesting a trade, but he was only requesting a trade right, to one like, spot. Do you remember when he showed up with the that's all folks? I do remember. He that. got roasted for that, and understandably so. So like this notion now where like Miami people are saying, well, no one cares when it's people trying to go to LA or when Anthony Davis did. It's like, no, I'm pretty sure people it's, cared and criticized. It's very that. it's the the Miami and I've become a lot more acquainted with the Miami media market and fan base, obviously in the last uh, month because of all of this. It's very interesting to me that they kind of both have the Lakers warriors. Like we're, you know, one of the elite franchises. You guys are all poverty franchises, but also have the, you know, the Portland, Utah, Denver, we're a small market. The national media is out to get us. No, because we're not LA or New York. Like they kind of have both at the same time going on. Yeah. Someone actually tweeted early in this saga from the Miami kind of beat up like where Miami ranked in the actual list of markets by size being like, they're like 20th, right? Yeah. Okay. It's like, yeah, sure. We get your point. But everyone understands Miami is one of, if not the marquee destiny, like the only thing higher LA is LA. And Miami. Yes, exactly. Like, like everybody, might like, be... Donovan, like Donovan Mitchell last summer had Miami on his yes. list. Like whoever the next, like whenever Luka Doncic wants out of Dallas, he's going to have Miami on his list. Exactly. Whoever, like that and, that, and that's also kind of why I talk about why these, even as far out as these picks that Miami can offer in the Dame trade, even though it's going to be after Dame and Jimmy age out, they're always going to be in the mix to get the next guy, whoever that exactly. next guy is, whether it's Luca or 
you know, Donovan Mitchell or Trey Young, whoever the next guy is that's going to be like the guy that wants to go somewhere else. Miami and LA are always going to be the teams that are in the mix to get those guys. And Miami is such a well-run organization and they're so well-coached that like, you're never going to, like Miami has been in the lottery six times in the last 28 years since Pat Riley has been a part of the organization. So if there's ever an organization that you want to bet on being bad and having good draft picks to trade, Miami's not the one. Yeah. All right. I'm going to let you get out of here, but I do want to let our listeners know that they can keep following along with Sean's coverage, whether it is coverage of a seismic Dame trade going down or just his coverage of more non-updates. You can follow his work and his coverage at the Rose Garden Report, where you can subscribe and read his newsletter and listen to his podcast. Also, some really fun stuff up there. Uh, Last night was going into your two-part series on how the media reacted to Bill Walton's 1978 trade request Mm -hmm. and uh, Clyde Drexler's 1995 trade request. I thought that was a really kind of cool and outside-the-box way to kind of continue talking about the Dame saga while also coming up with new ideas that aren't necessarily just reacting to the non-updates we keep talking about. So kudos on that two-part series. And I encourage our listeners to subscribe to the Rose Garden Report. Check those pieces out. Sean, I know you're a busy man this last month or so, so I do appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, And I hope Dame and Aaron Goodwin and the Blazers give you some reprieve at some point this offseason where you can kind of just chill and not have to worry about this or keep talking to people like me about it. I think I'm chilling either way. I don't think this is going to happen for a while. Yeah, I'm with you. (laughs) Thanks for having me on, man. This was fun. All right. Thanks again to Sean Hyken for joining us. Great conversation that hopefully holds you over until whenever we record again. Uh, with either myself and Wolf on or myself and another guest or Wolf on and another guest if I'm off. In the meantime, let's get to a fan shout out because I feel like maybe we haven't done one in a while. This week's fan shout out goes out to Z Labathi. I might have butchered that last name, but if I did, let's just say the fan shout out goes out to Z who reached out on Instagram. Uh, He had actually asked early in July when you guys would get another episode of Pound the Rock. And I think he actually ended up asking the day we recorded our last episode. So now here's a second episode for you, Z. Since you asked that question, Z is out in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. He's been listening since 2019. Appreciate the continued support, Z, and appreciate all of our listeners, whether they've been listening since 2019, whether they've been listening since day one for all 307 episodes, or whether today's episode was the first time they've listened. So the usual call out, if you are a listener of Pound the Rock and you've never gotten a shout out from us before, Hit us up on social media. Find me at Joseph Cacharo on Twitter, joseph.cacharo at thescore.com via email, or like Z did, find me on Instagram at Joe underscore 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 cash. And let me know how long you've been listening, where you listen from, what you like about the show, maybe what you don't like about the show. And we will make sure to get you a well-deserved fan shout out on a future episode. I think we have one more banked right now but after that we will need more shout outs for future episodes so yeah hit me up until one of those future episodes for a vacationing joe wolf on for sean hyken i'm joseph cacharo pound the rock